Ever been to Delaware? If not, now's the time to visit. You'll find a lot of fun in a little state. Since you can drive anywhere in the state in a couple of hours, you'll spend less time driving and more time enjoying. Explore from the bays to the beaches, stroll the boardwalks, and have an oceanside bonfire. Get a taste of Delaware at one of the award-winning restaurants and enjoy a local craft brew. See the first state's unique historic landmarks and experience Delaware's endless discoveries. Plan your adventure today at visitdelaware.com. Hey everyone, it's Michelle Williams, and I love being able to share my story with you on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, where my guests and I, we get real as we share the ups and downs of our mental health journeys, and I'd love for you to join me. Hey, it's going to be your church and your turn up. So listen to Checking In with Michelle Williams every Tuesday, a part of the Black Effect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Pharrell on a bench in the biggest way possible. Hanging out the bad seat, a broken eight, a bad apple with a bad attitude. Hanging around a bunch of bad others, bad taste, bad luck, bad dude, bad breath, bad attitude, bad vibes. F-O-T-B. Again, another dose of it. People have been waiting for this one. They've been clamoring for it, talking about it. Rumors have been flying. There's been tweeting. There's been interrogations. It's been all over the world, all over the globe. People have been, you know, saying things, and it's finally happening. They've waited, and they've waited, and they've waited, and waited, and waited, and waited, and they are done waiting. It's time for Kathy O, legend on the bench, the mother-in-law, 34 C's mother. She runs the roost. She runs the Farella Palatial and her own condo. The entire facility is at her behest. They all clamor and wait for Kathy O to drop the gauntlet and tell them how things are going to be, and then they do accordingly what needs to be done. She has sold real estate in northern New Jersey forever. And made a fortune. She is a leader of all the community. She also is trouble. She has gone out partying with me a million times. And today on the podcast, she will finally admit to all of these felonious charges. She'll deny it, but you know it's true. The fans know that she has partied with me because they've heard me tell stories about her on the show for years. Kathy O'Brien, finally on the Pharrell on a Bench podcast. Is it exciting for you? Yes, very. I've waited a long time. So now that you're on the show, let's start with the story of, I think it's appropriate that we talk about Belfast first. You grew up your entire life in Northern Ireland in Belfast. And in Belfast, they do not mess around. They mean business. I think the first time your daughter brought me to your house for dinner or something of that nature, you told me that if I did anything to your daughter, that you would have my kneecaps blown off. Correct. Absolutely. And I also told you to be very careful with her. Or I would pay the price. In Belfast, they do not mess around. When you mess with those people or anyone in their family, you will pay a significant price. Pain day, as I like to call it. They do not hesitate to get things done in terms of revenge. So if you screw up and hurt one of them, you will get that in return in spades. Correct. When you were a kid 
if anything happened to you, what would your father do to the people that did something to you? My father would do nothing, but my mother would have went out, and she did many times. Go out, go to the mother, and beat the hell out of her, and she did. That's the truth. So let's say it's like another kid, and you have to deal with this kid that is screwed up or done something to you. Your mother would go over to their house, knock on the door, and what would happen when the woman opened the door? Well, the mother was a bully, and everyone in the neighborhood knew it, but my mother wasn't afraid of anyone. So she came out, and she was wearing curly things in her hair to make her hair curly. They got into a fight, and she ripped out all the curly things she had on her hair. And one got caught in her jacket, and on the way home, she got home, and she called my sister and says, bring this over to Mrs. Lynch because it's hers and returned the curling pin that she pulled out of her hair. (laughs) Now, how many times did your mother have to beat someone up for you? That was just the one time. She would verbally argue, but that was the first time I saw her hit someone. Verbally assaulting people is as much fun as beating people. How many times did your mother have to light people up verbally? It was just a natural thing in Ireland. When you just said something and someone didn't like it, it all was into an argument. But then they walk away smiling at each other. That's the way it was. That was life. So would they confront them at the local pub or would they do it at their house? The women didn't go to the pubs in Belfast. Only the men went. The women went out for their birthday or something, and they didn't go into the pub. They had a side room where they bring their friends, and they would have a Pim's cup, and that was the height of the women's drinking. What is a Pim cup? That's what I'd like to know. It was one drink that all the women in Ireland, it was a big delight of their anniversary, their birthdays. What am I going to do? I'm going to have dinner and I'm going to have a Pim's cup. Pim's is a drink that you put something in it in a nice fancy glass. And they thought they were getting a diamond ring when they got their Pim's cup. Did a Pim's cup get you drunk? Not one. And they only had one. I mean, it was a big gift to them. How many did you have as a top number? Did you ever go in and have three or four of them? I have never been in a bar in Ireland when I was a child are a teenager. I had my first drink in the Bronx on 149th Street in an Irish bar when I came here in 1953. You're telling me that you never drank when you were a kid or when you were a young adult in Belfast. You never went out drinking ever. Young girls my age didn't do it. I was 16, 17. I left when I was 18. And we didn't do that. We didn't need it. So you came to America when you were 18 years old? Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. And I had my first drink in the Bronx. When you came over, was it a tremendous difficulty in terms of leaving Belfast to come to America? Or were you itching to get out of Belfast? I wasn't itching to get out of Belfast. My girlfriend Bridge and I, every July, would go away for two weeks because the world over there closes down in July. And this year we went to London. On the way home from London on the boat, we said, where are we going to go next year? And my girlfriend said, like, we had money. We didn't. Uh, We'll go to America. And she said, we'll go there and stay there. So we go home, and she asked her parents. They said she could go. 
I asked my parents, and my mother said, I have to go speak to your grandmother. And she went down that night and spoke to my grandmother, and my grandmother said, nope, you're not going. That was the end of it. Your grandmother said you weren't going, yeah. but you did go. Six months later, my grandmother passed away. We were sitting in the house. My mother was down at her house, and my father, cousin, come up and told him he had to go down to Granny's because she was passing away. And he's walking out the door, and he's giving me instructions because I was the oldest to how to get the kids out to school the next morning. And as he's walking out, he turned back, and he looked at me, and he said, do you still want to go to America? And I said, yes. He says, you're going. Wow. So he let you go. And then what'd you do? You packed your stuff. And what was it? Did you take a bag or did you take a case, like a traveling basket? Was it a giant trunk? What did you do? I went out shopping with my mother to buy me clothes. And then we had a party. Four different people give me a going away party. And it was about two months later. I got here in October. And I went to the Bronx to my grandmother's sister. And you sailed over on a boat? No, I flew over. So it wasn't a boat. You actually flew here? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I took a boat to London when I traveled there. But to America, we took a plane. Well, I always thought that you came over like on the Titanic. (laughs) My grandfather was on the Titanic, but he didn't drive That's another story. Wait a minute. So your grandfather was on the Titanic. Was it the maiden voyage that it went down? I went down on his maiden voyage, but he wasn't on it then. He was in the British Navy. It was one of the... They go in and they deliver goods and stuff like that to different parts of the world. That kind of... Like the uh, Red Cross. I don't know what you called it, but he worked for the Brits on their ships. And he worked in the Titanic, and he was home on leave. <laughs> I always pictured you came over like the potato famine, and then they all... <laughs> oh, how old do you think I am? You're like... Hell? <laughs> Jesus. When was the potato famine? What the hell do I know? I wasn't even around. <laughs> so you flew over to New York, and then you were able to go to the Bronx and to your grandmother's sister's house, and she let you live with her. And then how did you end up going to a bar in the Bronx, to an Irish bar, to have your first drink ever? Did you get drunk? Number one, I arrived at Idlewild Airport then. It wasn't John F. Kennedy then. And my aunt lived in a beautiful space. Boston Post and East Chester Road, beautiful place in the Bronx. My uncle ran the building there. My aunt worked for the church. She had five daughters, but she had one left and was living with her, and she was only three months older than I. So her and I, from the five minutes that we met, we fell in love with one another. We were like twins. And what was her name? Maureen. So you and Maureen became close friends and then started causing trouble. Well, she introduced me to her friends, and it was very interesting. One of her friends was German, one of her friends was Jewish, and the other two were Italian. And then I came in with her, and that was it. I had never met a Jewish person or a German person before or an Italian. You only knew Catholics 
No, I only knew Irish. I didn't know nationalities. So you only knew people from Ireland, but did you know people from all over Ireland or just from Belfast? Not the south of Ireland. I knew nobody there. I went there for weekends as vacation. But no, in Belfast, I practically knew everyone because my grandmother had seven daughters and we were all very close and we all lived about 15, 20 minutes away from my grandmother. So you had like seven mothers. Every time you did anything, somebody heard about it and told your mother. You know, that's the way the family was. Did you have seven sisters? No, my grandmother had seven daughters. My mother was one of seven children. Oh, so your mother was one of seven. And how many did you have? Just uh, Huey? No, we had Huey and Eileen and my brother Pat. Oh, so there was four of you? Four of us. I was the oldest. Pat was a change of life baby. I was 14 when Pat was born. And then Eileen and then Huey and then me. So who was the oldest? Me. I was the oldest. Did you get special treatment because you were the oldest and you were the first? Uh, yes, from my grandmother I did. My cousins, my mother's oldest sister, my mother's oldest sister, Aunt Lizzie, she married a very wealthy man, very adored her, absolutely adored her, she adored him. That's Michael's great-grandmother, Michael and Cormac. Right, I know who they are. She was very wealthy, and she had two children, Eileen and Barney. Eileen was the girl. So my uncle would come and say to my aunt, oh, you have to go downtown and buy. It was like going to Saks Fifth Avenue every time you shopped, you know. And as soon as they do that, my granny would send up to my house. We didn't have phones then. And say, send Kathleen down. I'm taking her shopping today. And she'd buy me the same things. When you grew up in Belfast, did your family have money? No, no. They were blue-collar workers. My dad was a milkman. During the war, he went to London and come home like once a month, you know, the Second World War, to make money because that's how you could make money then. So when you were a little girl, the war was going on, were you scared? I wasn't scared at all. I used to go to school with my gas mask. Never even thought of it. Did you have to just bring it with you or did you have to wear it? It was in a box and a strap and you put it over your shoulder and you sat on your desk in school. And then maybe at a certain time, they always say the Jerry's are coming. That's what they call the Germans. Um, the Jerry's are coming at a certain time, wherever they knew that. And we lived in a city. So it was a lot of industry, you know, and stuff like that. So we'd have to go in early. The house was blackened. The only thing you could have on was your fire. No lights, no nothing. We'd come out of the bedrooms, put the mattresses down in the floor in the living room and you spent the night there, and you'd hear the bombing, but my dad always had a singing. My father had a great personality. He always had a singing or doing things, keeping us occupied when he'd hear the bomb. How close did it come to hitting you? Well, we were told, do not let the children out till like 11 o'clock or 12 o'clock the next day because they were cleaning the bodies off the street of people whose houses got bombed. You know, a house a block from me got bombed. This one got bombed at the bottom of my street. You know, it's just how lucky you were. So bottom line, it was like the lottery. You had no idea if it would hit your house or not. Well, you didn't know. That's why you were on the floor and you had the mattresses down there and everything was in total darkness. 
You know, they blacked us all out, so that was for the bombing. When that was going on, did all of your friends and your neighbors and your mom and dad hate the Jerry's? They were too busy worrying about where their next meal was coming from, whether the stores be there tomorrow, you know, to feed their kids. You just prayed a lot. Thank God that you were there the next day. That's all. Of course, they were scared of them. We were all scared of the Jerry's. I mean, what are you kidding? So when you were with your friends and you were a little girl and all this was going on, you guys didn't talk bad about the Jerry's? All we said was we got to be home with something. The damn Jerry's are coming over tonight. You know, that's all it was like. Your aunt was coming to visit. We knew they were coming. So tell me about the IRA. I want to know about how it was in Belfast. Let's face facts. That was even more intense than the Second World War, wasn't it? Tell me about those battles as opposed to the Jerry's. Well, let me put it this way. I was here. I only went over visiting when it really got bad in the 70s. That's really when Jerry Adams, it really got bad then. Jerry was the head of the IRA. Well. He'll never admit it, but he was. I agree with that, yeah. And you were friends with him. I wasn't friends with him. My friend Josephine, I went to school with her and her son. Everything that comes out of Jerry's mouth, it never came out of his mouth till Martin checked it out. He was in prison on the blanket for, oh God, five or six years. And she had two, five sons and two of them were in prison the whole time. But they were very, very, even to this day, they're very up there. And Jerry and him, yes, I met him. I can tell you a funny story about Jerry, the first time I met him. Yes. Josephine called me. I went to visit my mother. This was not all that long ago. My mother in the nursing home, and she said, when you leave the nursing home tonight, I want you to get dressed, because I used to just drop a sweater and the pants on. Get yourself dressed up tonight and come to my house. I'm going to take you out. And I didn't think anything. I had my sister with me. And after the visit, I walked to Josephine's house, and I walk in. I go in, I sit down, we're sitting in her living room, and she said, oh, there's something I left in the kitchen for you. Oh, okay. So I walk out to the kitchen, and I see this guy. To me, he looked like seven feet tall. I know he wasn't big. And he was, and it was dark, there was no lights on, and I jumped, and I screamed, and I turned to run into Josephine. He said, there's a big guy in your kitchen. And she burst out laughing, and of course, then she turned around, and she said, and who's behind you? And it was Jerry Adams. And what happened, they had a timing when they knew the Brits were going to come around and check the neighborhood at a certain time. So they had one in the kitchen, two in the backyard. It was all security all around, you know, from the IRA. And Jerry came in because she asked, told him I would like to meet him. And we had a great conversation. My sister was cursing the hell out of me and going, Jesus Christ, what are you doing now? You're getting some more trouble. She was scared to death. Why did you want to meet him so bad? I just loved him. I just loved him. Why did you love him? I don't know. To this day, I just smile when I think about him. Are you ready for the nation's first and only free 24-hour network dedicated to you, the betting and fantasy sports enthusiast? SportsGrid will provide you with real-time content, statistics, and gaming intelligence unlike anything you've ever seen before. Located both in the heart of New York City and inside the FanDuel Sportsbook at the Meadowlands, SportsGrid is live 18 hours a day, here to serve you, the fanatic. This is SportsGrid. Get on the grid. 
Have you written a book and need some insight into what comes next? Or are you passionate about cooking and want to know how to make it your career? Or maybe you just want to hear insider stories about the entertainment industry. Either way, we've got you covered with the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast. I'm Alan Nevins, a literary agent and talent manager. And I'm Joey Santos, a columnist and celebrity chef. And on our podcast, Two Guys from Hollywood, we bring our expertise to the table with, of course, delicious cocktails and all kinds of recipes for you to try at home. So grab a drink and join us. We've got a wide range of celebrity guests and Hollywood insiders to discuss pop culture, publishing, and entertainment. And we'll provide you with an unfiltered and sometimes brutally honest show about Hollywood. As we like to say, we don't dish, we serve. Listen and follow Two Guys from Hollywood on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll talk at you soon. How old is he now? Jerry's uh, 60-something. Yeah, he's in his, but 62. That's nothing. He's barely older than me. Yeah, no, he's not all that old. So you were older than him when you met him? Yes, because Josephine's son and him, the one I'm telling you about, were like that. They went to school together and all of that. He was like the most powerful guy in Northern Ireland at one point, wasn't he? Yeah, and Jerry was his buddy, McGinnis. He just died about two years ago from cancer. And why was everyone so afraid of him? They weren't afraid of him. It was someone else could do for him. You know, Jerry never held a gun. Jerry never held anything. Let's face facts. They were scary. I mean, let's just get down to the gist of it here. Just so people can understand who their war was with. The Brits. The British. What the hell? Are you kidding me? So they just hated them and everything was against them. Let's kill them. Listen. They didn't hate them. It was how we were treated. I can be mad to this day, and I left at 18. You're Catholic. You can't vote because you didn't own the house. You know, you rented, sold the keys. That has changed. A Catholic couldn't get a scholarship beyond the regular school. So back in the day, it was the way, literally, that the blacks were treated in America. Exactly. I just said that the other night watching that show that you had on, The Help. I was just looking at that. Yes, the Catholics weren't treated any better. So the British had control over everything and they treated the Catholics terribly. In Northern Ireland, yes. Not in the South. The South was separate. In Northern Ireland, the Brits, it was the UK. You, you know, I was a British subject. I wasn't Irish. I was a British subject. Right. So the IRA wanted to break free of Britain. Yeah. We wanted the country reunited. So you just wanted to be all of Ireland, and the Brits had control over you, so your war was with the Brits. Let me put this to you. There were 32 counties in Ireland. 26 of them were in the south of Ireland, and the other six were in northern Ireland. That's where they divided in the wars of 1916. So they, we were strictly under the British rule, and they discriminated tremendously with 
the Catholics. So they thought that they were better than you, and then you had to answer to that queen? The funny thing is, we lived in a Catholic ghetto. They lived in a Protestant ghetto. They were all blue-collar workers, and the Protestants weren't any better off than we were. So what was the war like watching the IRA take on the Brits? I know you weren't there in the 70s when it got crazy, but how long did it last until they didn't have to put up with the British anymore? Well, they're still there. They're still there. The only thing is now Jerry Adams has a seat in their government. He has a seat there. In the parliament. In the parliament. That wouldn't have been heard of. Is it in Westminster? Westminster. I knew it was a W. When they fought and they were at war with them at the peak of it, how did the IRA do against the British Army? I mean, weren't they ten times bigger? Oh, God, of course. But they didn't have their whole arm. They had the army over there. They had people over there. And, I mean, it was bombings. I was in a restaurant having lunch with my mother in the 70s to help me. We went to a lovely restaurant. We shopped that day. We come home. And automatically, 6 o'clock, the news comes on. The restaurant that my mother and I were in that day, it was blowing up at 4 o'clock that afternoon. And when did you leave it? At like one or two? I left it by two o'clock. We were in there for lunch. We got there by 1230. Very lovely. A politician came in and my mother recognized him. So she was one of the, as we called him, one of the boys. They never used IRA or it was just one of the boys. She said he is a friend of Jerry's. I'm afraid to say his name. What did you think of when I came to your house and I saw pictures of Jerry Adams? I'm on there and I come in this house and I see all these pictures of Jerry Adams and I'm dating your daughter. I said to her, what the hell is going on in this house? I go, is that Jerry Adams? What is happening here with this woman? Is your mother in the IRA? And I'm like, why is Jerry Adams all over your house? What did you think when you heard that I was asking questions about why was there pictures all over your house of Jerry Adams? Well, I laughed because I had it in my bedroom, me and Jerry Adams on my night table. I had a picture of him downstairs also. Anybody who wants to see him, he's in my house right now. And I loved him. What can I tell you? So you didn't care what I thought either. You're like, who is this runt? When you first saw me come into your life with your daughter, you guys are like best friends. So I know that she told you This crazy lunatic guy on the radio is driving me nuts and he's harassing me to go out with him. And I just am going to go out with him to get it over with because he's such a pain in my ass. What did you think when you finally met me? Because you knew she was going out with me. Well, all I remember is we started listening to your show because I never listened to those kind of shows before. I had always music on. 
and you were bragging about what great sex you were having with my daughter, which didn't make me too happy. And Stephanie swearing to me it wasn't true and all of that. And the one thing I remember when I met you the first time was we were in a restaurant in New York. If you remember, we went for dinner. You, Michelle was there, and Chris, Chris's mother and us. It was for somebody's birthday. And you said something about, why did you come, or something like that it was, you asked. And I said, well, I wanted to meet the guy who's supposedly having great sex with my daughter. And you jumped up from the table, and the people next to us, they jumped up too. <laughs> you went, oh my God, and you banged the table. I can't believe that you would bring something up like that at a lovely dinner party that I'd take everyone out to dinner. And then what do I get? I get grief from you that you alleged that I was having all kinds of sex with your daughter. I would never say such a thing. You were the one that was telling everyone on the radio how great the sex was. I just said I came in to meet the man who was having great sex with my daughter. So did you have a lovely dinner with me or was it ruined by that conversation? Oh, it wasn't ruined. Are you kidding me? I'm too old and been around too long for it to be ruined. We had a wonderful evening. We did. What did you think of me at that point? didn't think one way or the other. I thought you were crazy, but other than that, you didn't curse and swear, at least, thank God. It was a wonderful night. So you went home, and you got on the phone, and you talked to your daughter, and did you give her your blessing that you thought I was a good person, or did you tell her to run? That wasn't the way it was. My daughter called me to find out what I thought of you because I knew it was important to her. It wasn't me making decisions. She called me just to say, what did you think? And I thought, I think he's crazy, but he's nice. And that's what I said. So you established that I was crazy, but that I was nice. And did you feel at that point that we had a future? Yes, I did. I did. You swear on a stack of Bibles, did you think that I was going to end up with her? I did, because your mother had got sick when you were going out early in your relationship, and you went to Pittsburgh to see your mother or something, and you were supposed to call her, and you didn't call her. And she was very upset. And that's when I realized, oh, this is more serious than... I thought. Eventually, I called her. It's not like I blew her off. No, it wasn't that you blew her off. Your mother was much sicker. Or so, well, whoever it was was much sicker than you thought, and you got tied up with and things like with that. That was the reason you didn't call. That's what you told me. You told her when it happened. So what did you think when I ended up eventually marrying your daughter and that we started having your grandchildren? And did you ever think you'd see the day, rue the day, that you would see her with me and not only married to me, but having children? The biggest surprise is her beautiful, and I'm not talking looks, 
how beautiful your children are. Inside and out, they're like old souls, both of them. They're wonderful children. It's a credit to you. It's unbelievable. So we've established that my kids are both very cool, and they're great people and great souls, and they're full of life, and they're fun to be around, and they're both very interesting, and they clearly get that from her. I guess so. I would say that. I have to tell you, but the night we went to your birthday party on the ship, I have to tell you what my brother said. What did he say when you went to the birthday party on the ship with me? That was in Bayonne, right? Yeah. And we went to the party, and it was my brother's first time meeting him, and I didn't tell him anything about him because my brother and I are very close. I said, let him find out for himself. And he met him. And he goes, what the hell's going on with my niece? He's crazy. What is the matter with you? <laughs> so he was not in approval of me at all. And now he's your biggest fan. <laughs> I always win him over. I won you over, and then I won Huey over. But he was in shock that night. Are you crazy? <laughs> was this serious? I said, yeah. I mean, it was funny how he reacted. He never reacted to his own kids dating anybody. But with Stephanie, he was very protective. So I'm with 34C. I end up with her. I have kids with her. And back in the day, I used to party with Huey and Billy O. So Kathy O and Billy O and Huey O. I used to party with you guys. And I used to drink. You remember when I used to drink? Oh, yes, I do. I do. I drank like a good Irish soul. Well, I didn't know how much you drank, but you were never nasty when you drank. I had to say that. Uh, not to me, anyway. I don't know if you did it with other people, but you weren't a nasty drunk. No, I never got ugly when I drank, and I never got sloppy, and I never drank and drove or anything like that. I just drank a lot. Well, yeah, but I didn't know how much you drank, honestly. I really didn't. But I could put them down. Steph Stephanie never drank. She was never one to drink. If she had a glass of wine twice a year, maybe. But... So I didn't really notice how much you drank. Not even when I was staying here and I'd go out with them or like I'd sit here like on a holiday and drink 25 beers with them? Well, in the holidays, you don't notice what anybody's doing. When you're entertaining, you're so busy taking care of everybody, you don't know who's drinking what. So I never noticed it that way, you know? Like I never saw you pass out sitting in a chair, passed out drunk or anything. I didn't. Maybe I blacked out. I don't know. But we used to party pretty hard and drink a lot of wine. Absolutely. Oh, dear. Yes. I had more hangovers when you came than ever I had in my life. That's true. So I brought all the hangovers into your house? Well, not all of them. I'm Irish, remember? And I had a lot of Irish friends. And I had a lot of Italian friends who drank, too. But I brought in a nice party atmosphere. Absolutely. Never dull. Never dull. Well, you used to not only party with me at your house, 
But you used to go out with me on the road. I took you to Palm Springs and to Las Vegas because you like to go on road trips and party with me. They were five. I loved that Palm Springs. When that guy brought me to the store, do you remember that? That was a Mr. Big, Joe P. Oh, God, he was so nice. When we got there and you went into the store with him, you came out with 100 shirts. And then he came to me and he said, go shopping and just don't worry about anything. Just go shopping. And I couldn't. I was embarrassed. That night we had the cocktail party after the beauty contest. And he said, we did you go to the store? Well, I just wanted to say that was more than a beauty contest. That was a Playboy beauty contest. So it was Playmates in Bikinis. Oh, was that what it was? All I know, there was a beauty contest. I didn't know where they came from. But he, he at the cocktail party, he said, you go into the store. And I said, no. He took me by the arm, and he brought me right into the store, right down out of the cocktail party into the store. Yeah, because he wasn't having no for an answer. He wasn't going to have you say, I'm, I'm too uh, nervous or... Say that. But you didn't want to go get all the freebies, and then he wasn't having it. I just thought it was kind of like taking advantage, you know? So he brought me in. He said to the lady, whatever the lady wants. I was like blown away. And And what happened? I bought for the kids. I bought Stephanie a designer bag. I bought her a pair of boots. So So, uh, you came around. Oh, very easily, after he brought me in and told the lady whatever the lady wants. And then didn't he take us out to all kinds of dinners in the resort? God, the service we got was unbelievable. Unbelievable. Want to light the lamp on DraftKings and FanDuel this NHL DFS season? Then join DailyRoto.com and learn from the best daily fantasy sports players. Get updated fantasy hockey projections for NHL DFS, line combinations, and build stacks for tournaments in the Daily Roto NHL DFS lineup optimizer. If you are playing daily fantasy hockey without using Daily Roto, you are doing it wrong. Enter the promo code ACTION for a 10% discount. That's promo code ACTION for a 10% discount. Hey everyone, it's Michelle Williams, and I love being able to share my story with you on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, where my guests and I get real as we share the ups and downs of our mental health journeys, and I'd love for you to join me. I'm still on my own journey, but I want to be transparent with you because as I was posting all the highlights of my life on social media, I was breaking down. And too many people fall victim to the picture-perfect image of the high life, so I created a space to discuss the good and the bad. We can laugh, man. We, we gonna learn. And most of all, I hope to inspire you to go on this journey with me to better mental health. This is gonna be your church, your turn up, and everything in between. So join me on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, a safe space for every kind of person. Listen to Checking In with Michelle Williams every Tuesday, a part of the Black Effect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. One of the things that people don't know about you is is that you love to gamble. And I'm on SportsGrid, the betting network, so did you ever think that 
I would end up on a betting television network doing TV, and you know how much I like to bet, and you like to bet. I remember once when you came to Atlantic City with me one weekend, and I was at a machine. I like to be alone. I don't like people hanging with me when I'm doing the slot machines. And just as you came over with Stephanie, I won like $100 or something. And I took a handful of quarters, maybe 10 quarters to you and her. And I said, here, go put it in the machine. You both put it in your bag and walked away. You didn't even put the money in the machine. Yeah, I don't remember any of that. I just remember that you like to play high limit slots, which is a nice way of saying you would literally do $20 a pull. Yeah, uh-huh. I work very hard. Why am I selling real estate still? I know that you like to sell mansions. You're good at it. So when you sell a mansion, you like to go still to Atlantic City or to Vegas, and you'll sit in front of the high-end slots. Like You'll do $20 a pull, and you'll sit there for eight hours and go crazy. I won't sit there for eight hours. Yes, you will. I don't take a credit card with me when I go to a casino. Ever. I have to get an ID to put in the register in my room, but I won't take the credit card. You use your players club. I also take a limit with me every time, and I don't borrow where they can give you money if you need it or something. So if you lose all your money, that's it? If I lose what I come with, that's okay. I mean, I prefer to win. I don't like to lose. But I've seen you win all kinds of money. I know. I have won a lot of money. I can't complain. I can't complain at all. So, But you have gone to Vegas with me and been at my live shows and seen me perform live in front of packed bars and partied your ass off and got a really nice Jameson buzz going and played high-end slots for hours and stayed up till 3, 4 in the morning. I do. I stay up to 3 or 4 in the morning. I don't play in the, in the daytime. I may go in at 4 o'clock for about 20 minutes. Then I leave. I go up to the room and I read the paper and whatever I am doing. And I go in at night after dinner, and I stay there to 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. So you have been, even on the cruise ships we go on, you go on them as well. You like going to the cruise ship casinos. The first time I went on the cruise ship, I walked down to the casino. I was in the casino 10 minutes, and I won $2,500, one shot. And you love when that happens. I had my money the whole time I was there. I loved it. So one time you went with me to Vegas and I partied too much and I had a giant suite in the Cosmopolitan and I didn't answer my phone for two days and I was partying and drinking and doing bad things and you guys had to crash into my room with security. Do you remember that? What happened was... I was calling, calling, calling. Your wife was calling, calling, calling. Brian was calling. Your lawyer came, George. He was calling. Finally, I went to the desk, and I said, I need the key to room such and such. And they were not going to give me the key to your room just like that. And I told him who I was. I said, I need the key to his room. 
He said, what do you, what, what's the matter? You think he's ill? You think he's dead? I said, if he's not, he's going to be dead very soon. <laughs> and then what happened? The guy's eyes lit up like a Christmas tree. He looked at me, but he gave me the key. And George and I and Brian went upstairs. And how brave they two were. I had the key. I'm the one screwing in the room first. And you were lying away in a corner in a ball. <laughs> Wait a minute. You broke into the room and I was partying and I had all kinds of bottles on the table and bad things were happening. It was disgusting. It was a mess. And you were against the wall where the bed was. I don't know how the bed got across the wall. But it was. It was just a bad scene. It was just a really bad scene. I was so pissed. You were going to kill me. Yes, yes, I was so pissed. And then you made me check out and go to the airport and fly home. That's exactly what we did. And we got a cab that we got the hell out of there. And then you can literally lay claim to being at the last time I ever drank. That was the last weekend I ever drank. Was it? That, that was it. That I didn't know. Yeah, I never drank again. Wow. I mean, I know you don't drink. Well, because your daughter was going to leave. Well, she would have killed you because she's calling me and calling me, and I'm calling back, and I'm tr and telling her I've tried to get him for breakfast. I'm eating alone. I don't know where the hell I am. I don't know what I'm doing. And you are curled up in a ball somewhere. Hammered. Hammered is the word, yes. So eventually I got home and I never drank again. Are you surprised that I never drank again and that I just quit drinking? No, I'm not surprised you've never drank again, but it's amazing how easily you did it. I just stopped. It looked easy. Yeah. I just stopped. And that was it. You know, one of the things was, is that I think that I've always told the story on the air was, is that I didn't want to lose my family and I didn't want my kids to think that I was a drunk. Oh, I was even scared to come home because I couldn't cover up for you. I couldn't say it wasn't true what Stephanie was seeing because even though she wasn't there, she could tell by my phone calls. I mean, how do you go with someone away for a Three days and you never see them. It's because I went on a bender. Right. Don't come up for food or air. But I had a great room. I had a gigantic suite. Who the hell saw it? We never got into it. You were locked. You couldn't get in. I was living like a king. I was like that guy, Arthur. You remember him in the movie, The Rich British Guy? It was hammered all the time. He was a drunk. Yeah, I remember him. That was like me. I was like Arthur. All I did was party, and then I didn't want my kids to think I was Arthur and to be a loser dad and to be a drunk, so I quit drinking, and I never drank again. Can you even believe it? And then I became a basketball star. Yes, that's another story for another day. <laughs> well, but that's true. That's all I do is play basketball. I know. It's unbelievable how you go to the gym as much as you do and all that. Before, I drank tons of beer and tons of rum and tons of tequila and tons of Guinness. And then I put it all down and all I drink is water and drink seltzer and play basketball. That's a good life. But look at your home you have now.
think where you would have been if you hadn't have done that. Well, I don't drink. I don't do drugs. I don't do anything bad. I don't steal. I'm not a thief. I don't cheat on my wife. I'm the perfect person. You sound very boring. <laughs> so now all of a sudden I'm boring? The one that provides you with all your excitement? You sound very boring when you talk like that. <laughs> but I have provided the utmost amounts of excitement for this family over the year. Yeah, I have to say that. That's true. It'll be always a fun no matter where we go. Do you remember when your sister was here at the Thanksgiving dinner party and I talked about getting a Hummer? <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> yes. She didn't know what that was. She thought it was a car. <laughs> She didn't know that it was something else entirely, like it was sexual. She thought it was a car. <laughs> so when Billy O used to be around, God rest his soul, the other day he had his birthday. What would he have been? 87. He used to love to listen to my radio show and hang out. That was his night. It was great. I mean, he did. He went up to his room, his office, and he'd sit there all night and just listen to it every night every single night no matter where we were he wanted to get home got to listen to the show. he loved it that was he just got so much pleasure out of it so for like 15 years he literally never missed an hour or a minute of my show unless we were on vacation he didn't have a radio or something but other than that if we were home he never missed it and he didn't want anybody there. He went upstairs, done it in his office. I bought him one of those fancy radios. Satellite radio. Whatever it was. And he was just... Um, Enamored with it. So um, he used to listen to Don Imus in the kitchen. And if he listened to Imus, if anyone changed the channel on the radio in the kitchen, he would have killed him. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. He did listen to Yamas. And then when you started going on with Howard, he was listening to that. I mean, he followed it. Do you think he liked Don Imus more than me? No, I don't think so. You think I took the cake? No, honestly, I, I don't think that happened. Absolutely not. I don't think he thought like that. No. He listened to him forever, and then he listened to me. So we used to argue at dinner all the time because he was very political oh please we argued every day we'd have a certain station on uh, and he'd hear me come in from work and i'd hear this feet running across the room to get the television off or change the channel before i came into the room because he was always watching fox right and i would not put that station on I don't even be in a mile from it, but... Because they're fascists. Argued like hell over that every single day. And you thought that he was so far to the right, he was completely gone, he was nuts. Me coming from Belfast, Northern Ireland, and knowing how you were treated politically, and then you listen to that crap? Don't start me on that. He was always 
GOP, always uh, Republican. He loved them all. It didn't matter who it was. Bush, uh, like Bush's son, was like the worst, dumbest president ever, but he loved him. Absolutely. I always told him, you forget you come from Jersey City. People from Jersey City don't think like that. I said, you're just forgetting where you came from. That was our argument. He used to get so mad when I say that. <laughs> because everybody in Jersey City was Democrat. Yes. That's the way I feel about people from Jersey City. And then we got uh, that idiot, because I still get mad when I think about it. We argued all the time over politics. And then he liked Trump, too. Yes. And it made you sick. Just mentioning his name makes you sick to your stomach. It makes you drink Jameson. Right, you're right. Do you know that? So when Saturdays roll around, you love when I make you a Jameson. That's my favorite hour of the day. When my husband was around, Saturday I came in from work by 4 o'clock, 4.30, and I have to say he'd have the fire on, and he'd get up and he'd make me a Jameson and ginger ale on Saturday and the same thing on Sunday, and that was my week's supply. I loved it. Wait, you like to have a Jameson now, and I make a stiff JMO and ginger, and you read your paper and you sip your JMO and ginger, and then I always buy you a bag of delicious Lay's potato chips, and you like to have your potato chips with your JMO. How did you remember that? I haven't done that since Bull died. Yes, you have, because I bought you 15 bags of Lay's, and I always give you potato chips when I give you a JMO. I didn't get it this week. Well, I ran out of potato chips when the famine started and the virus and the Pharrell demic. Okay, I forgive you. You have a good reason. But I always buy you a gigantic handle of JMO. Oh, my God, yes. And I never had JMO till you did it for me in Vegas for the first time. I was ordering a uh, 7 and 7, and you said, forget that. You're having Jameson and whatever, ginger ale. Sometimes I step up my game and get you the 12-year-old Jamo. Oh, I don't know the difference in one Jameson. Well, that's even fancier than a regular Jamo. All I know, it tastes good. And there is a big difference in the taste. No more seven and seven. I live vicariously through you now when you drink Jamo because I miss it. I tell you, I can understand that. When I pour it, I can smell it, and it makes me horny. Delicious. Delicious. Now, you like wine, too. You like to hit a glass of wine every day. It's good for your soul. Do you believe that wine and JMO, one JMO stiff double a week, has kept you going all these years? Because you are still as vibrant as ever. You were still working still busy, still selling million-dollar mansions, and still partying, still traveling. You took my kids to Ireland. You go all over the world. You go on cruises. You go out to dinner with us. You party with us. You drink wine. You do everything. It's because you're still crazy and have fun, right? Absolutely. I'm going to go to my casket with blonde hair. I'll always be a blonde. Yeah, you still got the nice head of blonde hair. You still look sexy. And it's going to stay that way. 
And I go to my casket that way. Will you ever admit that you tried to sleep with one of my radio producers when we were in Las Vegas and you were drunk? That is BS. <laughs> that is not BS. That is a great story. And everyone knows it's true that you are ready to have an affair. I, jeez, are you kidding me? I would have went with a guy with a store. Your producers? Forget it. <laughs> she is denying that she tried to sleep with one of my producers. I'm not talking about the ones now. I'm talking about my Howard Stern guy that I was with. I don't even remember him. We do, and you are guilty as charged. Kathy O, it's been great having you on the Pharrell on a Bench podcast. I will continue to take care of your daughter forever. Amen. Thanks for coming on the show. Did you have fun? I did. I really enjoyed it. You want a glass of wine? Absolutely. There she is, Kathy O, a legend on the bench. Shake her Want to be the next Daily Fantasy Millionaire? Dunk on your NBA DFS competition with DailyRoto.com and dominate on FanDuel and DraftKings this season. Compete with the pros with DailyRoto.com, Optimizer, and the most accurate projections in NBA DFS, plus lineup alerts, breaking news, late swap support, and much more. Save 10% on winning NBA DFS advice with promo code DUNK. Visit DailyRoto.com backslash DUNK to learn more. Hey everyone, it's Michelle Williams, and I love being able to share my story with you on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, where my guests and I, we get real as we share the ups and downs of our mental health journeys, and I'd love for you to join me. Hey, it's going to be your church and your turn up. So listen to Checking In with Michelle Williams every Tuesday, a part of the Black Effect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.